taking ship a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Ellie Jacobs, joined live in person for like only the fifth time. Right, yeah. Yeah, by Just Maggie about. Moore. Uh, Frank Spring is not joining us over the inner tubes this week. He's got the week off to spend with his baby and the probably better weather in New Mexico than here in New York. Almost always. I'm just going to assume, yeah. <laughs> uh, we are recording at uh, Stand Up New York Labs, which is a podcasting studio above Stand Up New York, which is a great comedy club on the Upper West Side of Manhattan that you should go check out. And we are very grateful for them letting us hang out here and record for a little while. Yeah, and y'all should be grateful that I came to the Upper West Side. So I am. Quite quite the journey for me. Um, and hey, Ellie, it's also good to be in the same room with you. Um, and just as a quick and constant reminder for uh, praise and validation, uh, as well as your scorn and hatred, to please leave us any sort of comments, uh, ratings, wherever you find your podcast. It helps other people find us so they can be tortured as well. Uh, and subscribe to us. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, and we're taking ship. Uh, and that's ship with a P as in Play-Doh. Uh, and so this is a very special Upper West Side edition uh, of Taking Ship because we are joined by the good and great and fellow Truman Project member, Amy Spitalnik. Hello. Hello. Uh, Amy is the executive director of Integrity First America. Uh, she was also previously the communications director and senior policy advisor to New York Attorney General Barbara Underwood, communications advisor and spokesperson to the New York City Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio, and communications director in the New York State Senate. She's also worked on a number of federal, state, and local campaigns and advocacy organizations, including as J Street's first press secretary, which I don't think I knew that about it's you. It's true. It's a fun little addition to the bio. It is true. Thank yeah. you for, for hanging out with us today. Oh, this is so exciting. Yay. Yeah, this is great. So we're not going to crap on Bill de Blasio, even though... It's our favorite pastime. It's one of our, like, crapping on Bill de Blasio and Cory Booker are, like, two of our favorite things. Mm -hmm. I'm aware. Like, legit, two <laughs> of our knows. favorite things. She's yeah. a listener. <laughs> Or just follow our Twitter feed. Yeah. Um, and we'll skip over some of the stuff that you've done in the past and really talk about what you're doing now. So as we dive in, before we get into like a fun part of the con, fun-er, more fun? Funnest? Funnest? Who knows? Funniest? I don't, I don't know, know. Something. Tell us what you're doing and how our listeners can help you sue Nazis. Yes. So we, we are suing Nazis, right. which is always a really interesting thing to bring up at cocktail parties when you're asked <laughs> what you do. Um, but it's true. Integrity First for America is a nonpartisan nonprofit. It was founded in 2017 with the goal of taking on those who uh, threaten the principles of our democracy. And as it turns out, there are a lot of people doing that right now. Fun fact. Everyone um, is doing that. Everywhere. Some of whom are elected members of Congress and Ugh. sitting in the White House. This is accurate. But also what happened in 2017 is the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Um, and Integrity First for America is supporting Signs Free Kessler's, which is a landmark federal lawsuit against the two dozen neo-Nazis and white supremacists and hate groups who meticulously planned and orchestrated and executed the violence in Charlottesville that weekend. Right. So the important thing is that although it may have looked on TV that this was like haphazard and just a bunch of guys walking around like wannabe Army Navy SEAL, Army Rangers and Navy SEALs, this was actually well, well thought out and planned and every aspect of it was put together in advance. Exactly. So a lot of people think what happened in Charlottesville was spontaneous, but that mm -hmm. is the opposite of the truth. Um, for months leading up to that weekend, August 11th and 12th, 2017, these neo-Nazis, white supremacist hate groups were online on a site called Discord, which is typically used by video gamers. They co-opted this site and built out channels specifically dedicated to planning a weekend of violence in Charlottesville and oh, included wow. everything from what to wear, what to bring, which weapons to bring, to questions like, 
can you claim self-defense if you run over protesters with a car? Which, of course, is exactly what happened. Right. Um, so this was not a spontaneous outburst of violence. This was a very meticulously planned um, weekend that intended to bring this racially motivated, bigoted violence down to the small college community of Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, ultimately resulted in the death of Heather Heyer and countless other injuries. The people who were injured that weekend, both on the Friday night um, with that sort of very, people probably have very vivid memories of that tiki torch march. Right, where, I was just going to say the tiki torches. Um, all these neo-Nazis and white supremacists were dressed alike, carrying tiki torches, walking through the streets of Charlottesville on the UVA campus, chanting things like, Jews will not replace us, and blood and soil, some of sort of the most visceral Nazi slogans. Mm-hmm. Um, they attacked a Uh, a group of community members and students who had been peacefully protesting near the Thomas Jefferson statue. A number of those people are our plaintiffs. And then the following day, um, they marched military style through the streets of Charlottesville after the police dispersed the group. Um, They, James Fields, who was just sentenced to life in prison, um, drove his car into a crowd of peaceful protesters, killing Heather Heyer, injuring a bunch of others. Um, mm-hmm. If you know that iconic Pulitzer-winning photo of the car going through the crowd, there's an African-American gentleman splayed across the back of the car. That's Marcus Martin. He had just pushed his fiance Marissa, out of the way, saving her life. Um, both of them had extensive injuries. Marcus's legs were broken. Um, both of them are our plaintiffs. Um, and so the 10 plaintiffs in our case are these really brave individuals, students, community members, a local reverend um, who were injured in the violence simply because they were peacefully protesting or standing in their community saying hate doesn't belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, and our defendants are really a who's who of the neo-Nazi white supremacist white nationalist movement in America. Wow. I mean, well, so that that's a really good roundup for me, mostly because I feel like so many horrible things have happened in the past two years, just like around the world. So like getting a bit of a redux on it uh, is super helpful. Um, so I'm actually interested in how a lawsuit came about. Like, where did that idea come from and how do you organize something like that? That's a very good question. So I think many of us watched what happened in Charlottesville and felt angry, but also very helpless, right? There's mm-hmm. no, there's not much that you feel that you can do as an average citizen looking at a weekend of such violence and hate. Um, but Robbie Kaplan, who was one of our lead lawyers, Robbie was Edie Windsor's lawyer in the landmark Supreme Court case that won the first round of marriage equality mm-hmm. in 2013. Robbie uh, and our other co-lead counsel, Karen Dunn, are two of these incredibly amazing badass women lawyers um, who really conceived of and brought this lawsuit on behalf of our plaintiffs. Mm -hmm. Um, Robbie saw what happened, just launched her own law firm, um, and knew that what happened there could not have been an accident. Um, And looking at some legal precedent from other cases, mainly a case brought by her, a lawyer at her prior firm, Paul Weiss, um, in the 1990s, um, against a site called the Nuremberg Files, which was a site where um, anti-abortion activists listed out doctors and other healthcare providers mm-hmm. who provided abortions with their contact info, addresses, and other info. Doxing and, them, essentially. Exactly. And then put a red X through them as they were injured or killed. Oh, my God. Um, so... A case was brought against the organizers and owners of that site. The case was won. Um, and those people have essentially been followed around by the legal team and the plaintiffs for the rest of their lives to make sure that any mm-hmm. assets they had, they bought a home, they got a job, anything like that could be seized as part of the damages they, they owed as part of this civil lawsuit. Um, we're not the government. We can't bring a criminal 
case. And I think we were all pretty confident that the then Attorney General Jeff Sessions was not going to bring a conspiracy case against these guys. That's pretty fair to say. Yeah, that sounds Um, about right. And there's a lot to talk about in terms of what the federal (laughs) government is or is not doing right now. Um, But it was clear that what happened in Charlottesville was not an accident, that it was this meticulously planned conspiracy. And Robbie and her team went down to Charlottesville a couple days after the violence, started meeting with people who had seen it firsthand, um, identified plaintiffs who Mm -hmm. had been injured. Um, And the case was filed in October, only a few months after um, after the violence happened. What's interesting about the case as well is that one of the major statutes it's filed under is the KKK Act of 1871, the Ku Klux Klan Act. Um, this was a statute passed by the Reconstructionist Congress meant to protect recently freed slaves who had been assaulted, terrorized by the KKK and other hate groups in uh, the post-Civil War mm-hmm. era. Um, it is, it has been used a number of times since, probably most recently during the Freedom Rides, um, but it is stunning that as we near the 150-year anniversary of the statute, we still need to use it to protect against racially motivated violence in America. Yeah. God, I didn't even know that thing existed. Um, so what is the actual lawsuit? What, like, what, are, what are you alleging? Or sort of like, what is the, what is the complaint? Yeah. So it is a conspiracy suit. It's not mm-hmm. a speech suit. It's not an incitement suit. It is a clear conspiracy to commit racially motivated violence. So the KKK Act... Um, which I just described, and other civil rights statutes are meant to protect people from discrimination and targeting based on who they are, what their race is, and what they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened in Charlottesville, based on the extensive online chats that we've obtained as part of the suit, and some of which were actually released by a white hat hacking group known as Unicorn Riot in the days after Charlottesville, um, and are all publicly available for people to see, as well as in the complaint, which you can read on our website. Um, but in these chats, we saw a very carefully planned at effort at bringing violence to Charlottesville, and mm-hmm. that is a conspiracy. What you know, whether you're conspiring offline to rob a bank or online to commit violence in a place like Charlottesville, that is a conspiracy. And um, you need to be held accountable for that if you are one of the organizers of that conspiracy. Um, The defendants have tried to get the case thrown out. Mm -hmm. You won't be surprised to hear. They tried to claim that uh, their First Amendment rights protect what happened here. Mm -hmm. The judge issued a very clear, very strong decision making clear that the First Amendment does not protect your right to commit conspiracies, to conspire to commit violence. Just like if you were having a conversation about robbing a bank or committing some other crime and then did it, that's not protected speech Mm -hmm. the same way that the speech um, that ultimately resulted in the violence in Charlottesville is not protected speech. God, I can't imagine what reading those chats are like. That would just make my brain explode. Well, you can. They no. are, they are <laughs> in the complaint that's on our website. <laughs> so is, was there ever a thought of, uh, could RICO have covered this at all? Or So we think there could be a federal, potentially be a federal case here. Mm. And maybe What's in a, Rico? Rico, Rico is, is a, the, essentially a racketeering and conspiracy got it. statute. Yeah, it's how they got the mob, basically. Uh-huh. Like if you tell somebody to go kill somebody, you're kind of on the hook also because you run the organization and they, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Oh, racketeering, influence, some, something like that. I don't know. Uh, but we have all the information in the history of the world here. We can look it up. I know. I could Google <laughs> it, but I don't want to. <laughs> Racketeer, so, influenced, and corrupt organizations. There you act. go. Oh. Um, but the thing about that is that RICO cases are typically brought by the government. Right. And so mm-hmm. we, as I mentioned earlier, I think it was a safe assumption that this Department of Justice led by Jeff Sessions at the time was not going to bring a case like that. Um, 
And I think it's also important to think about this in the context of the way the federal government has been handling this broader crisis of extremism. So over the last few years since the end of the Obama administration, um, DOJ civil rights investigations are down, I believe, nearly two-thirds. Wow. Um, The Department of Homeland Security's domestic terror unit has been cut. Mm -hmm. So these are the very basic programs meant to protect against extremists like this, to make clear, to to sort of monitor that extremism and then take action when something like this happens. But I think it's very clear that it's not a priority for our current federal government. So it makes this case brought by private plaintiffs all the more important. Mm -hmm. Right. And if this is, even if it's civilly, it could, you, you guys win, you're successful, there's still opportunity for the government to, can states bring suit against them or does it? The, the laws vary state from state to state. And I don't want to purport to know what the Virginia AG could or could not do. Right. Um, I think generally most of, most cases like these have been brought by the federal government. So this is actually precisely why DOJ Civil Rights Bureau right. was mm-hmm. created. Um so that is where that has really lived. There are things states can do on the hate crimes and extremism front, and mm-hmm. some states have done that. For instance, when I worked in the New York Attorney General's office, we put out guidance for local and state law enforcement to make clear what their roles were, to make clear um, how they could help protect against this rise in hate crimes we saw after Trump's election. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are definitely things states can do. Generally, this has lived on the federal level. I don't want to pretend like there hasn't been anything done on the federal level. James Fields, who was driving the car, charges were brought against him. He um, was likely to be convicted, took a plea, um, was just sentenced to life in prison a couple weeks ago. And that's important, but that's not the end of this. There are two dozen other individuals and groups who are responsible for planning what happened in Charlottesville, and they need to be held accountable, and that's what the suit is about. Mm-hmm. So to take, a, to take a step back, Amy, how is there a way for people to, at least in their heads, kind of draw the lines of demarcation between neo-Nazis, white supremacists, nativists, and just jackasses? They're like, not all the same. <laughs> I mean, it kind of seems to me like that the Venn diagram is probably real tiny. Like yeah, Sure. But like, yeah, who are we talking about and how do you, is there even a difference between like, all of those things? I mean, things? are they like card carrying member? Like, is it that it's level? Re- of- it's really a very nuanced difference. And for the, you know, for the sake of talking about our defense, and it's so hard to distinguish in some ways and that it really mm-hmm. just has to do with sort of what their individual minor beliefs might be. Which right. vary. So white nationalism is a more all encompassing term. And then within white nationalism, you have neo-Nazis, white supremacists, um, and other um, sort of other subsets, if you right. will. But really, at the end of the day, these are people who hate all of us, anyone right. who is different than them. Mm-hmm. Um, they w- One thing that has been particularly interesting about this case is the way in which anti-Semitism is really the central motivation for so many of these. They are racist, they are homophobic, they are misogynist, they hate all of us, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to discount any of them. But really, you know, anti-Semitism is one of the original hatreds in the world. And the way in which that has underpinned so much of this has been particularly stunning. Robbie Kaplan, one of our lead counsels, prominent lesbian attorney, New York woman. She has it all going for her in terms of what they might hate. (laughs) But the thing that they really focus on when they send their threats to us, and they certainly send threats to us, um, is the fact that she's Jewish. The thing mm. they focus on when they talk about, you know, 
me on their 8chan or 4chan threads is that oh, I'm God. a Jewess. Right. Um, so they're continually, they're continuing to have these conversations in not even in like secret chat rooms. These are just yeah. out in the open. They're just the other week, Chris Cantwell, who you might know as the crying Nazi. Right, the Daily of, Beast wrote a story about this, Yeah, right? so the, the, it's on our website on integrityfirstforamerica.org. You could read the Daily Beast story. And then, um, you know, kick some money. And kick some money, which we're ha- I'm happy to talk about. Um, all, everything donated to IFA directly supports this suit right now. Um, but Chris Cantwell, who's known as the crying Nazi, he was featured in that Vice documentary about Charlottesville, if you've seen that. Um, a couple weeks ago, after the Jewish Telegraphic Agency did a story on our case, he tweeted it, or not rather, he put it out on Telegram, which is a site that has become very popular among right-wing extremists, mm-hmm. um, saying, um, and I want to get this right, um, but um, saying, quote... After this stupid kike whore loses this fraudulent go. lawsuit, Ooh. we're going to have a lot of fucking fun with her. Cantwell told his followers on Telegram, a messaging platform last month. There oh, you go. My well, God. Ellie said it and not me. Um, and that is That's that is better. one of the defendants in our suit. So this is a guy who's been sued, is continuing to be sued in court. The, oh the court has upheld the, the case against him, and he's still out there doing this. And this is dangerous not just because Cantwell himself is a dangerous person. He has a propensity for violence mm-hmm. that we've seen. We saw it in Charlottesville. Um, he has multiple, um, he's been convicted on multiple assault and battery charges, illegal possession of a weapon, I believe. Um, he's someone who has said, I'm trying to increase my capacity for violence. He's like, this is who this guy is, which God. in and of itself is is deeply troubling. Um, but he's also putting it out there to his followers, which is something that we've seen as a pattern over the last few years in particular. So an extremist leader like Cantwell Mm -hmm. takes a social media site, co-ops that site, and then really uses it to promote and incite his followers to violence. And so the next disaffected white nationalist is out there listening to this guy and wants to make a name for himself in this community. And he hears these crazy threats and then goes and acts on it. And that's Mm -hmm. what we've seen in Charlottesville. We saw it in Pittsburgh. We saw it in Poway. Um, And this is a pattern that keeps repeating itself. Um, and so when someone like Cantwell threatens our lead counsel like this, it's problematic not just because of him mm-hmm. and the direct threat, but the way in which he tries to really leverage his network of followers, um, which makes the threat even more terrifying. I was just thinking about this the other day because there was some, like, it wasn't Unite the Right, but um, Milo Yiannopoulos and Laura Loomer were in D.C. There was some, like, right rally type thing. And I was reading, uh, which looked gen- genuinely just it's like a very sad place to be. Like, it was very empty and, like, only lasted a couple hours. Um, but I was reading some coverage about it, and they were talking about Telegram uh, and how it's used as let- – predominantly for terrorists to communicate that it's not like a, it's not like Twitter or something like that, but that, uh, you know, Laura Loomer has been deplatformed. So she doesn't have any real outlets besides Telegram to, to gather followers. And I was thinking, uh, in conversation, this got brought up the other day of like, what if, um, you know, what if American media like covered something like this, the way that we cover like terrorist attacks in other cities. And I feel like I would be so interested to read like British press or like German press or French press, like some someone else covering what Charlotte would be like because I feel like uh, what or what happened in Charlotte because um, I feel like oh, Charlottesville. Charlottesville, excuse me. Um, thank you. Um, May have happened in Charlotte too, but I mean, who's yeah. to say? <laughs> uh, but no, um, just because I feel like it's been. I haven't read a ton about Charlottesville in the press, at least not in the last couple of. Uh, 
like months uh, or in the past year. But I wonder like what what an article about Charlottesville would read like from the perspective of like a, another country's outlet. Somebody was doing something like that. I don't remember if it was on Facebook. There's a or couple Twitter places that do it. Like Sleet does it yeah, and like yeah, The yeah. Onion does it of like what if we wrote about Thanksgiving yeah. like right. like another uh, like another outlet. But um yeah, well, I don't know. Well, I think what's also like, interesting about say it's like Telegram and and sort of the way like where some the, where, I can guarantee you that the neo-Nazis and white supremacists on these sites are talking about Charlottesville every day because yeah. we see it. But also what's interesting about sites like Telegram is it's the people on those sites are the ones most likely to be radicalized and the most likely mm-hmm. the ones to be to take action because that's where people who are deplatformed, people who have been making anti-Semitic, racist, mm-hmm. violent threats on other platforms and have been deplatformed, they then go to sites like Telegram or Gab or something like that. Um, and so the people on that site are particularly most likely to be radicalized, right. which is also deeply troubling. Um, so they're certainly talking about it. I right. think you're right that you know, two years after Charlottesville happened, not even yet, we have sort of lost the conversation on it. And every time something happens, whether it's Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Poway, Christchurch, we talk about the crisis of right-wing extremism for a couple days, and right. then the news cycle moves on. One really important sort of side effect of our case, I would say, is that there will be a three to four week jury trial in Charlottesville, steps away from Heather Higher Way, that really puts this extreme violent white nationalist movement on trial, quite literally, and forces a public conversation about this issue in a way that hasn't yet happened mm-hmm. um, and that we so desperately need. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the well, direction yeah, I was... Well, very fine people on both sides. Oh, very fine. I think that... Um, the, the the thought that I was trying to chase down a little bit is that with the dominance of American media uh, sort of setting the narrative of whatever it is that we're talking about, I think there's maybe a desire to say, like, well, this doesn't happen in our country. And this kind of violence or this kind of pattern, these kinds of patterns don't exist, not in our backyard kind of capacity. But, like, no, it is very much here. This isn't, like, uh, a foreign country problem. Like, this isn't, like... Uh, we can we should like we should be talking about like terrorist acts and uh, violent extremism, not just as something that happens in the Middle East, which is what I think a lot of people associate that with. That's accurate. And last year, domestic extremists killed more people than any year since 1995, which is the year of the Oklahoma City bombing. Wow. Awesome. Um, and you know, I think <laughs> awesome, <we> great. <laughs> but I think we all know, right? Like we see the stats that the ADL and other groups put out, mm-hmm. anti-Semitic incidents were up 99 percent, I believe, over three years. Yeah, crushing it. Um, and like. These, MAGA. Like, these no. stats are just terrifying. They really you dig are. into them. And in any other news environment, I think they would be front page news. But we're dealing with a mm-hmm. president whose tweets said Twitter, a Twitter, I guess. And, <laughs> um, and like, you know, Mueller and all these other things that are equally important in their own ways. Shark attacks. Um, and some are less important. Um, but it, we lose sight of the fact that we're dealing with a crazy important national crisis right now, Mm -hmm. which is this crisis of domestic extremism. Um, And there's so much more that needs to be done on that public conversation level, Mm -hmm. on the government level, on the social media platform level. And and if we're not looking at it as the national crisis it is, there's not a lot of willpower and political will for that to actually Mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. I want to come back to the social media stuff because we've talked about social media and just like I am at this point more thoroughly convinced than ever that social media in general is a net negative to society and that any good that it may have had or any promise that it may have had has long like lapped itself into just the horrific cesspool that it actually is. <laughs> but before we do that, I want to talk and follow this strain on the media a little bit more because 
I was actually thinking something differently than like almost the polar opposite of what you were mm. just saying, Maggie. That 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 the, me- the media almost overhypes it, and like kind of I sarcastically brought up shark attacks, but it was kind of thinking it like that, like. You know, for a while, the New York Times was doing like these, um, you know, the hillbilly porn articles where they like they go interview somebody in, in, right. in Ohio the or something Trump like that. The Trump supporter in Ohio. The, yeah, the, Trump, yeah. the long the, lost the, white right. working class voter. But at the same time, Richard Spencer was like a media mainstay for a long oh, yeah. time. Like he got a not a glowing profile, but he had a profile in the Atlantic and oh, yeah. multiple other places. So, I and and you know, and then I just pulled this up this morning. There was a, a murder in they actually the Times wrote this up, A Political Murder and Far-Right Terrorism, Germany's New Hateful Reality, um, where a member of Chancellor Merkel's party, a guy named Walter Lubke, L-U with the umlauts, B-C-K-E, was killed um, because he had defended immigration and they, he got doxxed and then somebody shot oh him. God. But just the way you were saying, Maggie, like if, they, if we covered it the way that it's covered... Like, yeah. Yeah. So this is like a perfect example. Mm-hmm. But... Going back to the idea is like is this, it, clearly the numbers support that this should be covered more than it actually is, but at the same time, the way the media has been covering it over the last let's say four years since Donald Trump came down the golden escalator, I don't want to say that they're connected, but you know not every Trump supporters are racist, but all racists are Trump supporters. I think we're pretty safe in saying that. Um, the way it's been covered since then is still, it's kind of like this hillbilly porn of these people exist amongst, amongst us. We must learn more. Right. And they're also characterized as these lone wolves, right. which mm. I think is a very dangerous framing. Right. These guys are not acting on their own. In Pittsburgh and Poway and Christchurch, it might be an individual actually going into a mosque or a synagogue and right. shooting it up. But that doesn't but just that, happen. But that doesn't just happen. They're radicalized by part of this, this online community that I described, where they're right. on sites like Gab and Telegram and Discord and 8chan and 4chan. And they're hearing there's these so leaders. Many. And there's so many. And they're <laughs> proliferating. Um, and they're they're hearing these leaders, like the Chris Cantwells and Richard, mm-hmm. and Richard Spencers and others of the world, saying these things, calling them to violence, essentially. And then uh, it's not shocking that a few of them will go out and actually act on it. Right. Like, right. it's, frankly, like, it's surprising that there hasn't been more, which, right. is, uh, which is an awful thought to have. Right. But looking at how these sites have proliferated over the last few years in particular, and the way in which both, I think, the media and law enforcement and others have just missed the this rise as the crisis that it is 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 something that we really need to grapple with mm-hmm. in a much broader way than we have right i think it, i mean uh, it was after the inauguration when spencer and his ilk had um, a party in a conference room and he was they were doing the nazi salute at the oh, at yeah. the end of it you know how Trump, trump or whatever it was oh, boy. and the way the media covered it was like penguins at the zoo right. essentially like look at this cur- curiosity amongst us everything's fine and I, so I think, like, there's this weird, like, are they, uh, they're overcovering it in very poor ways and not covering it in the right yeah. ways enough. And I have, I mean, we're both media people. All three of us are media people. I have no idea how to change that. It's, I don't know how to have that. Con- I, I don't know, because the reporters know what they're, like, they're writing these stories and then they look at, the, they, they have to look at them and be like, that, that's not, that doesn't sound right. Well, it's interesting. So the other day, there was a story in the Palm Beach Post about a principal at um, oh, yeah. At I a high school that. down there yeah, yeah. who basically told a parent that he couldn't do certain Holocaust education uh, because the Holocaust is, quote, a belief 
kind of political right that he couldn't state f- that it happened right. for a fact exactly right. which oh, and really. so i mean i tweeted i tweeted it out because yeah. i'm the granddaughter of survivors i'm currently suing nazis this is something that is very important to me and i think we should be calling out holocaust denial and right. things like that where they happen and that tweet got a huge amount of attention more importantly i think the story got a huge amount of attention mm-hmm. totally unrelated which is that i think the times and other places did follow-ups and that's important we should be calling out educators and others who deny the Holocaust. They mm-hmm. should not be able to educate our children, period, end of story. However, that in and of itself is not the only crisis we're facing. It is only a symptom of a much larger crisis we're facing. And I think we're missing the forest for the trees or whatever the expression right. is that I'm looking for, which is that these, you know, th- this all of this is not happening in a, in a vacuum. We don't know why this principal said what he said or how he came to that opinion. Um, but we do know that there is a crisis in this country in which right-wing extremists are denying the Holocaust, spreading anti-Semitic and other racist bile, and then radicalizing people to violence. And if we don't see this all as part of that dynamic and then act on that broader dynamic, we're, we're going to be totally screwed here. Yeah, I wonder if it's just like a an issue of people don't think that people want to read about like um, systems or uh, institutions that enforce what you were just talking about, but they want to read about a person and they want to exactly. read about something that's very easy to grasp onto, right. which is the tree as opposed yeah. to the forest. So like, I feel like it's a bit of a reporter problem, but also like it's an editor problem. Who's yeah. assigning these stories and like, uh, and what angle are they asking people to approach things in? Right. It's also just scary as shit and dark. And that's no, true. It's it's certainly a very dark topic i i know that because i live it i guess i live it every day but um but it doesn't mean like we we have to look at it as the real crisis that it is Mm -hmm. or we can't just look at it as these one-offs anymore totally totally so i think does that that kind of brings us back into the social media realm of obviously there's all these offshoot social media and chat chat groups and blogs and all this other stuff that they that are being participated in and kind of this shadowy, gross world that now feels more comfortable coming out in the light. We can argue why that suddenly happened. But again, four years ago, Donald Trump came down an escalator and said that Mexicans Mexicans are rapists. So, yeah. So are the main social media companies, Twitter, Facebook... Insta- I guess Instagram's Facebook, but that that group are what are they doing? They're not. I mean, from my perspective, none of them are doing anywhere near enough. They're all kind of saying free speech. We can't regulate it. We can't see it. If we look at that, we have to eliminate that. We can't do this. We can't have a boob on Instagram. But you can put a picture of, you know, you can have a. Uh, well, the guy who uh, he got disinvited. The guy that there was a cartoonist that just uh, pretty anti-Semitic cartoon. Yeah, got to the White it House. was uh, it had a hand above uh, with like a puppet of it was Sor- the like Rothschilds. Oh the my Rothschilds God. holding up George Soros, who was then holding up uh, Petraeus and and uh, H. R. McMaster. Right. I think. And Good one of the most like one of the most like basic anti-Semitic troops. Right. Honestly, it's like that's not even right. original. <laughs> what was what was really interesting, and there's a guy named Yair Rosenberg who writes for Tablet, who like has really been cataloging and chronicling this stuff. He created like a bot on Twitter that susses mm. out like neo-Nazis. He's really been doing an interesting. People should check out the stuff that he reads. Uh, we retweet his stuff pretty frequently on on uh, the Taking Ship feed. Um, but he posted the the, car, the cartoon and saying that this guy was invited to President Trump's social media summit that he's having today. Um, with the purpose of this summit is to draw attention to the idea, the very false idea that the social media platforms have it out for supporters of Trump and the right in general, which is 
wildly untrue and has never been like it. The idea of even trying to prove it is silly. So Mm -hmm. like it's just anyway, Donald Trump's an asshole, but we'll go on from there. This guy was invited to the White House to participate in this thing. And like no one said boo, whereas the New York Times international edition stupidly published a really horrible anti-Semitic cartoon. And the cartoonist was like filleted and then got fired. And the Times was, you know, Mm -hmm. drawn and dragged left and right by the Jewish community and other communities. But this guy like wrote, drew an equally as horrible cartoon and he's going to the White House or was. The White House Mm -hmm. dropped him once. Who uh, I think Politico was searched like requested comment from Jared or or Jason Greenblatt or something and like I guess at that point the White House was like we done fucked up maybe we should just tell this guy not to come. Oh boy! But so going back to the social media stuff, are any of the are they doing anything? What should they be doing? What legally can they be forced to do? Should, can we just get them all to go away? <laughs> The social media sites. Yeah. Ellie continues his crusade against Twitter um, <laughs> and Facebook, I, and all Facebook. of it. And, I, and I'm more con- the more I time I spend on Instagram, the more and more I'm convinced it's also awful. It is. It's, well, I think what's important to recognize is that your free speech rights don't necessarily apply on a private platform, which is what these sites are all on. And there are terms of service, mm-hmm. and like you have a right to just be out in public saying like. Jews are awful. Kill right. Jews. Heard that on the subway the other day. I mean, right. like, just no, out there in the public like, area. You have a right to have those beliefs and to say those beliefs. Right. But a privately owned site like Facebook or Twitter or whatever doesn't have an obligation to give you that platform. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's but they've also, none of them have been pub- punished in any way. Their no. share prices are all up. Whatever, you know, black, black blemish, you know. Right. Facebook has... Again, from a crisis comms perspective, has had a brutal year and a half. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, just a continual feed. Like, and I think we're just starting to chip the iceberg of some of the other stuff, like, of oh, just yeah. the other shit that they've mm-hmm. been up to. Their share price has never been higher. Right. I th- and I, you know, it's all part of a much larger issue, which is that government and, right, these regulatory agencies just had no idea how to deal with social media. And this is true both on this issue but on many other issues as well. I mean, the Nancy Pelosi video that went viral on Facebook. Oh, God, yeah. Um, in which she was made to appear drunk. Like, that that's crazy that that was up for as long as it was. And, that it, and, and you know, it was someone from Facebook said, well, like, you know, people just kept reposting it when we took it down. But, you know, these are the biggest, most successful tech companies in the world. There has to be a better way to address how we handle these things. Right. And right like, now it's just there's a bunch of people sitting in a room looking at content. I feel so And bad making for like too. judgment calls on, on, yeah. on things, which th- there was some study like these people are like rapidly becoming suicidal. From, oh, yeah. Oh, there yeah. was a story the, the other week about this. Ugh. Um, but it's and it's part of a but yeah. Much everybody should issue. spend as much time as possible on Facebook and Twitter because <laughs> there's clearly no negative consequences. Never, not once. Um, well, in a slightly different direction, more towards the light. Great, ah. we will. I like Aha. that. Um, okay, so the case is actually happening. But you, correct me if I'm wrong, are not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. Not an attorney. I just play one on TV. I just <laughs> on Law and Order. Yes, my favorite show. Um, so. What is your role in all of this? What is Integrity First's role in all of this? Um, how does how does a nonprofit sort of fit the fit the bill here? Great. So we are supporting the case, which means every dollar we raise directly supports this litigation, mm. um, and that covers things like our security costs because, as we described earlier, these guys are not thrilled that we're suing them, and they send these vile, bigoted threats out um, basically every day. 
um, encouraging their followers and others to do what they may. Um, and that means we need security when we are at hearings. It means we need to be keeping an eye on what they're saying and taking mm-hmm. action as necessary. Um, and so that and that's not a small cost. Um, so that's one big thing that we're doing. We also um, have major evidence collection expenses. So we've won really great court orders from the judge requiring these defendants to turn over their phones, their computers, their social media, and email accounts, which is great in terms of discovery and evidence and getting to the bottom of Mm -hmm. um, many of these issues. I'm sure it's mostly like Um, cat gifs. I'm sure. Um, Well, I'll tell you about our coffee table book, Things Nazis Also Say. Oh, dear. Later. Yes. (laughs) Coming after the trial. Um, But um, it's not, you know, it's not cheap to sue Nazis. And um, having to forensically image all of these devices and accounts to make sure we're getting all of the evidence off Mm -hmm. of them is about $500 a pop. And we have probably a little under 200 of them. So that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, for instance, if... Like every, if everyone donated $500, which I'm not asking your (laughs) listeners to do. Why not? But that would go towards imaging Mm -hmm. one device. If 10 people donated $50, that would get it done. And that's a huge help. Mm -hmm. Um, The other role that IFA is playing here is really um, to help make sure this conversation moves forward nationally. And as we talked about earlier, it's so important to see what happened in Charlottesville, not as an isolated endpoint. Uh, not as an isolated incident, but as a flashpoint mm-hmm. um, as part of this broader crisis of right-wing extremism that we're dealing with. Um, and so, for example, the Pittsburgh shooter communicated on Gab with our defendants in the weeks leading up to that attack. The Christchurch shooter painted onto his gun a symbol known as the fast tag that was popularized by one of our defendants. The Poway shooter trafficked in the same websites and conspiracy theories popularized by our defendants. Mm-hmm. So making sure people understand that what's happening here is part of this much larger infrastructure that we've been talking about, that this le- the leadership of this white nationalist movement is responsible for Charlottesville and we're holding them accountable in mm-hmm. court, but we can't overlook their roles, um, their roles in so many of these other incidents. And by taking down this network, which mm-hmm. is what this case could really do by bankrupting and dismantling it, it will have ripple effects well beyond Charlottesville. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that that um, you were just saying uh, reminds me of, I don't really understand why there's a obsession or at least like a constant narrative that like these people act alone or they're individuals who just like suddenly decided to commit these acts of violence when we know, at least on the side of like white hats or, you know, um, uh, people who are doing these types of movements for good, that like it takes organizing and planning and plotting similar to like civil rights movement, like that is an entire community and a network of people who communicated to make this change happen. Why is it so hard to believe that that is happening in the dark or for nefarious purposes? Like, yes, they are absolutely organizing right now. Like, I don't... And it's like literally what happened here and that there is, um, there was literally chats and chats and chats on Discord where they plan down to the very detail of what to wear and what to, how to sew a swastika onto your shirt. Um, how do you, what should we bring for lunch? Will mayo spoil in the heat? Right? Oh like my they, God. they were planning this down to the most minute details, um, which is both like the banality of, ema- of evil is, mm-hmm. is, is real. And, you know, we always joke that we will release this coffee table book, Things Nazis Also Say, um, where they were talking about the mayo spoiling or the gluten-free bread some of them needed because some Nazis are gluten-free. Um, fun fact. Fun fact. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like, all of that is really part and parcel of the fact that they were 
planning down to the most minute detail mm-hmm. exactly what they were going to do there, mm-hmm. um, from which weapons to bring, plowing cars into protesters, how to sew their swastikas onto their sleeves. But also don't forget sunscreen exactly. and like a bottle of water. Exactly. Right. Literally. Use, use milk to get tear, to get tear gas out. Yeah, yeah Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I think those were all things that were actually discussed <laughs> in Discord. So kind of along those lines, is there any kind of organized attempt or not even or an unorganized attempt of people taking footage and picking out individual people and like shaming these them publicly, almost mm-hmm. like you would with a sex offender. Yeah. Like their employer needs to know that this is what these people think and do. Their family, their neighbors, their their kids, you know, playgroup parent friends. Like, is there an actual? Is there that level of detail or attempt that somebody's sitting and looking through like the torch rally footage and all these prick ass you know seniors in college who should never get a job ever because of this? There are people on the internet who do that. Right. I think listing two dozen of these people in groups. In a lawsuit, also helps in a big way with that. Definitely, yeah. and that there are literally hundred, multi hundred page complaint that details exactly what they did here and what they believe. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, you're entitled to your beliefs in this country. And I'm someone who I've I've worked in an attorney general's office. I've worked in government for a long time. I will defend the First Amendment to its core. But this is not what the First Amendment is about. The right. First Amendment is not about your right to commit violence yell against fi- people. Yell fire in a movie. In a right. movie but even beyond that, right? Like what these people did here wasn't simply yelling fire in a movie theater. It was actually planning a weekend of violence and ensuring that mm-hmm. it happened and it did happen. Um, and so I think, you know, um, bringing them into court is is an important step, at least for the sort of two dozen leaders of this movement. There are people on the internet who do what you were describing, who call these people out. Um, there are sites like Hate Watch and others that have been tracking these guys. The ADL Center on Counter-Extremism has been doing fantastic work on this front. Um, But, you know, I think this is the type of thing that if they were Muslim, we would be having a very different conversation. conversation. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that that to me seems like one of the undercurrents of how Mm -hmm. all of this is being covered and how it's all being, like, dealt with by society in that, all these people probably voted for Donald Trump, and if they lived in Kentucky, they probably voted for Mitch McConnell, and if they lived in Louisiana, they probably voted for Steve Scalise. And because of that, there's like a discounted aspect by half the country of this isn't that a big, this isn't a big deal. Right. Well, and I think part of it is every generation, or probably even less so, there is a trial in this country that really forces the public to grapple with an issue. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, if we had the various marriage equality trials a few years ago. There's back to scope smunky and everything in right. between, right? And there hasn't been that. And I'm not, like, we have the potential to be that trial next year when this goes to court. Yeah. Um, are there cameras allowed in the court? I don't believe cameras are allowed in court because it's a federal courthouse, but certainly national outlets will be covering this on a daily basis mm-hmm. every day over the three to four week trial and forcing a national conversation on this in that way mm-hmm. is important. I do worry that like with everything else, you know, something will happen and the news cycle will move on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about the post 9-11 era, we didn't move on from that. We right. talked about that for months and years. And I'm not trying to equate what happened in Charlottesville with 9-11. I'm a New Yorker. Like mm-hmm. these are not the same things, but they are both acts of terrorism and they are both reflective of crises that we need to deal with then and now. And there needs to be that public reckoning on mm-hmm. this issue. And this trial has the potential to do that. Yeah, I think for me at least, the 
I would love to have a public reckoning on that, the conversation of what do we do for these insidious online communities, similar to like Elliot Rogers, who killed a bunch of women in Santa Barbara yeah. several years ago, to the incels um, yeah. who, you know, guy running a truck into women that he sees on the sidewalk, that like these communities uh, and this, this like online infrastructure that exists to breed violence um, need to be dealt with. And if it's, if that conversation can be started with uh, white nationalism, like then that'll be a landmark decision that will potentially ha- then have a ton of ramifications going forward Absolutely. on on continued acts of violence or other cases that could be brought against uh, for victims of crimes like this. Yeah, we can get rid exactly. of the NRA and white supremacy in the same year. That would be dope. <laughs> That's a good year. That would be amazing. Um, so you said that it's going to trial next year. Sort of where does where what is the standing of the work and sort of what can we expect you know in the next year or so? So. Um, about a little under a year ago, we won the motion to dismiss, which meant we blocked their motion to, to dismiss, I should say, which mm-hmm. gave it the green light to go to trial. And we're now in the midst of discovery, which means depositions and evidence collection, mm-hmm. many of the things I described. Um, you won't be surprised to learn that these guys are not super forthcoming with their Shocker. with their phones and computers and accounts, despite huh. the court ordering Compelling them repeatedly them to, do, to so. do so. So we've already gotten the, the court to sanction some of them and expect more to come on that front. We filed a number of motions for sanctions and expect mm-hmm. um, the court to, to weigh in on those soon. Um, and then we expect trial in likely mid-2020, wow. which will be really powerful for a number of reasons in terms of this national conversation yeah. we've been there's talking That's going to be... There's s- something else happening in 2020. Some, uh, other people, some people might be a little busy in 2020, but I hope they'll Others less attention. so because they drop out of the race. <laughs> oh, before we mentioning that, uh, our... our, our we, we salute Eric Swalwell for taking Remember a the good, fallen. To take a good long look. As the look, Commodore would say. Yeah, you know, to take a good long look in the mirror and realize that he's inconsequential and useless and that he's better off just holding on to his house seat for life. And we urge about 2018 to 22 other candidates yeah. to have the same cold, hard look in the mirror. And we'll let you, dear listeners, figure out who those people actually are. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that'll, that'll be a very interesting thing to be addressed, uh, for the people who do survive that long in the election. That'll yeah. be, I mean, it'll that's be, great it'll timing. Be, it'll and be interesting I hope, to I see hope. if there's any, um, ramifications for, for El Jefe in the White House mm-hmm. in his reelection. I mean, he did say good people on both very sides, fine, with very, very fine, fine people. people on both sides, which to me is still insane. Insane. It's insane. It's insane that he said that it's insane that anybody with a soul, let alone somebody who's Jewish, would continue to work for him. And that like there's any like anybody has any doubt of like where his mind is. Right. Of like what he actually believes. Like I we talked about this, like I, I don't even know if you were co hosting yet, but we talked about it. And like you were very upfront saying Donald Trump's a racist and I was like, uh, I don't know I'm willing to go there yet. Oh, I'm there. I was I've been there for quite some time. Oh God. I don't even remember that, but if that was the case. Nailed it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I think, right, what we're seeing is it didn't come out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Some of it is the internet, which we've talked about, these guys who used to put on clan hoodies right. and hide mm-hmm. in their in their basements are now out in the open because they feel they can be. Part of it is because they can find one another on the internet and conspire and organize in the way that we've seen. But they also feel incredibly emboldened because they have people saying things like there are fine people on both right. sides in the highest office in the land. Right. So these things are all interrelated. None of this is happening right. in a vacuum. And yeah. Well, before we move on to my favorite part Ooh. of the show, um, what is the best way that people who are listening to this uh, can support you, support the work? Thanks for asking. Yeah. So two things. One, 
Um, go to integrityfirstforamerica.org, integrityfirstforamerica.org. Sign up. You'll be prompted to put your name on our 10,000 Voices for Charlottesville petition, which simply means you're saying you support our 10 plaintiffs and their bravery in bringing mm-hmm. this case against the leadership of the white nationalist movement. Um, and then, you know, amplify it on your social media, share it with your friends and families and colleagues. I don't think a lot of people know that there is a lawsuit against the right. leaders of the neo-Nazi movement happening right now. Um, and anything folks can do to spread the word, we're at Integrity for USA on Twitter. We'll, um, we'll post this all in the show notes yeah, and, yeah. and we'll be all over Twitter yeah. on this. So so sign up and spread the word. Mm-hmm. And second, again, donate. Even if it's 10 bucks, even if it's 20 bucks, if you have more than that, we will certainly take it. If you hate Nazis, yes. give them money. Every yeah. single dollar that we raise goes directly to support this lawsuit. And just remember, if you don't give money, you're basically saying you like Nazis. 100%. Yeah. That's, that's the message I take from yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And like, look, like there's a lot of commitments on people's money, or a lot of polls on people's money yep. right now, right? It's, it's like we're in the beginning of the presidential cycle. I get we it. We strongly recommend donating to no presidential candidate except like maybe five of them. And if you've been listening to the show, you'll know you which know five. Yeah. But, I mean, like, a lot of people felt helpless and angry and scared after mm-hmm. Charlottesville and after Pittsburgh and after Poway and after Christchurch, after all the other awful things that have happened in this country. A very tangible and easy thing you can do is donate to this case because then you are literally helping sue Nazis, Ha-ha. which is an amazing thing to get to do. You're basically yeah. an inglorious bastard. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. You can hang out with Brad Pitt. Hell yes. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I think it's the time. That's a perfect segue. For my favorite thing, yeah. which is the lightning round. Yeah. Why don't we do the lightning round? And if Amy wants to stick around a little bit, we can do a quick roundup of politics. Oh, sure. If we, if we think. Just so we can, you know, lighten the mood. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Because <laughs> that'll really make yeah. us all feel happy. I'm the person who comes to a party and it's like, let's talk Nazis. Allow right. me to darken your doorstep. Yeah. But like, you're a badass doing Have badass work. Have heard of so Nazis? <laughs> don't even. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, okay. So the first question of the lightning round, um, what is a book, a piece of music, film, television, really any piece of culture that um, you would like to recommend to us and our dear listeners? So this is not... Anything to do with Nazis directly, even though it really does. You were talking about the end. But Good and Mad by Rebecca Traister. Oh, my God. That book is so, so good. good. <laughs> um, I'm, I've been reading it piecemeal over the last six months. Rebecca's amazing. Um, she talks about Barbara Underwood in it, who mm-hmm. was my prior boss, and how um, this moment where last year um, I had Barbara on Christiane Amanpour's show. Both of them were women who replaced men who mm-hmm. were pushed out of office. But I think it actually is relevant to what we're talking about today yeah. because the way in which misogyny and white nationalism, white supremacism are interrelated and oftentimes one and the same is really important. Mm-hmm. And she talks about that a bit in the book. Yeah. Um, that's just top of mind. I love Rebecca Traister if you're listening. Hey. Oh, my God. I but. love her so much, too. One thing I'll add very quickly, which came to mind for me when you were um, talking about reading some of the chats that they have, um, is that and I actually thought about Good and Mad, was that um, it is so hard to read some of the stuff that, like, pundits, reporters, or, like, people were saying about, like, Hillary Clinton as a candidate. Um in one place, in one concentrated fell swoop. Because a lot of times, like, stories are, like, things, like, op-eds that come out, like, are are spread out over the course of several months to years. But when you read it in yep. a concentrated five-page span, it just makes you want to jump off a bridge. Right. And, exa- and, like, all of the, again, like we were saying, none of this is happening in a vacuum. It's all part of this much larger yeah. issue that existed with our media, with mm-hmm. our government and our politics. Yeah. And if we don't see the ways in which they're interrelated, mm-hmm. again, we're screwed. Hot recommendation. <laughs> oh, that's a great book. <laughs> All right. Uh, the second question, and uh, I thank you again for the cupcakes and the ice that you've heard is uh, Amy and I, or both Amy and me, 
Amy and I are both who, drinking. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Are both drinking whiskey. Um, yeah. So, with that in mind, a food or drink you've had recently that you recommend? Uh, this is hard because I love food and drink so much. Um, I mean, that's I an mean, acceptable same. answer. Yeah, that's yeah. Accept- I mean, yeah. Just like all of it. <laughs> yeah, all all of it. Um, I stayed at the Line Hotel in D.C. recently mm-hmm. and highly recommend their restaurant. Also, it's a very cool hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we, we liked? Um, um, they're like avocado toast, broccolini, all this like yeah. hipstery Hipster stuff. Hipster food. It was, good but it was delicious. More importantly, though, b- basically any whiskey is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I've had some good stuff. I can't tell you what it is because now I'm on the spot. Yeah. We'll add it to your list to tweet about. Stillhouse Van Brunt or something I, like that? Van Brunt Stillhouse really is one of my favorites. We need Widow, to convince them to let us do like a live show there. Widow Jane, also down in Red Hook. Mm-hmm. Um, for New Yorkers, highly recommend mm-hmm. going to Widow Jane and Van Brunt Stillhouse yeah. in Red Hook. Kings County is not, eh, you can skip that stuff. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Van Brunt and Widow Jane. All right. Thanks for prompting right. me on that. And then keeping on to the, the food kick, um, is a hot dog a sandwich? No. Why not? Why do people always say that? Because the bread's connected. Oh yes, my that was what I was going to That say. happens oftentimes with a Subway sandwich as well. Yeah, but then it falls apart, I feel like. I mean, I guess a hot dog could uh, too. Fine, okay. But that, that was a pretty quick response. See, normally I like hem and haw out loud. I'm mm. like, well, this, this, this. So, no, I like, I, I appreciate the strong response. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I mean, we probably know the answer to this one, but we're going to ask it anyway to give you another opportunity to plug. Uh, in the Trump era, lots of people are interested doing in, in doing something. What's oh. one organization you support and why? <laughs> <laughs> you can sue a Nazi by donating to Integrity And we'll remind you that if you don't donate, you're basically supporting Nazis. Don't be like that. Don't be the guy who supports Nazis. Be like no. Gallant, who, you know, donates. Don't yeah. be like Goofus, who loves Nazis. <laughs> Is that an apt comparison? I, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so do we want to turn to politics briefly? Well, what do we got? I know. So we had Eric Swalwell drop out, which was fantastic. And so the thing that caught my eye, uh, and I don't generally read op-eds ever. I get that. I, that's not true. I read the New York Times hard copy. <laughs> I was every, like, don't lie. <laughs> every Saturday, I read New York Times hard copy. So I read, basically, Brett Stevens is like the only columnist I read at this point, just because he's in the paper on Saturdays. And because you hate yourself? A little bit of that. Um and when, like, the Commodore really gets amped up over a David Brooks thing and, like, sends it to us yeah. 50 times, like, I kind of have to read it, I guess. That's true. And everybody should subscribe to the Commodore's uh, newsletter. Uh, he posts great stuff that he's been reading. Stanford Newsletter Experiment? Something like that. We'll, the, we'll, we'll, put, the, we'll put it out in the show notes also. But uh, Frank Bruni had a column today about Joe Biden. And I didn't read it, but I saw, like, a quick excerpt mm. in Playbook today. Um. It was basically this idea that Biden's, like, time has passed and, like, by electing him, he's basically running on this idea of, like, not turning back the clock, but of reinstituting the Obama years as opposed to, like, moving forward as the country goes. I think he thinks that's going to actually work as opposed to realizing in real time which end of the ticket people were actually voting for. Yes. Which is funny and sad to watch. Yeah. Yes, but... So... In this criticism of Joe Biden, that like this has been sort of the ongoing thing that he's too old, that he's out of touch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of which, I mean, kind of true, but I think that this kind of dichotomy of the idea of um, revolution versus kind of reinstitution is sort of mm-hmm. what the Democratic primary is going to be entirely about. Mm-hmm. Is it are we going to go totally revolt and nominate Bernie Sanders? Are we going to not? You think go- Bernie Sanders is totally revolting? 
Oh, I do. I mean, I think didn't mean to totally, say it yeah. like that. Yeah, it's I a mean, total revolt yeah, is what I, mean, I yes. meant to say. I mean, it's electing a socialist. I guess. So he, I mean, that's one direction to go in the whole different direction. I'm so, I mean, what I'm saying is like a whole different perspective. I think like Kamala Harris is, you know, left of center. She's not yeah. a loony lefty liberal. So I think like that is going to be the big fight on the Democratic Party. Like how, how much is it we just want to be like back in Uncle Joe's arms and like relive the good old days and how much of it is going to be, all right, we need something totally new. So I think like that's actually the big fight. And I know... Bill de Blasio doesn't fit in either of those categories. No. Like, factually. No. Hardly any of the people that are running actually do, but... Yeah. I don't know. Amy, do you have thoughts on the primary? I have many thoughts on the primary, but I probably won't share them here, because I run a nonpartisan nonprofit. That's True. Fair. Well, we'll get, we'll get her opinion in the, in the off-the-record capacity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Well, we'll have some off-the-record time, because... After this, we're gonna, probably going to go celebrate Ellie's birthday because yes. it is, in fact, Ellie's birthday when we are recording. Happy birthday, Ellie. How does it feel to be 21? Ellie has eaten like three it's big by, like 12 baked by Melissa cupcakes since we've been sitting here. They're delicious. I didn't realize like it, it was like cereal. You just kind of like pop them in like by They're the delicious. handful. Yeah. It's not like you have to unwrap the wrapper. Like it's really, it's really smart packaging. <laughs> it's genius. It's like a Whitman sampler of cupcakes. A what? A Whitman sampler, like the, the little chocolates yeah. you can get in the box? Ah. Uh, with like all the different flavors? I've CVS the day after Valentine's Day and gotten the like 50% Which off. Which is the trick. Can right. confirm. Yeah. You get like 70% off chocolate. Are it's those great. the ones that have like weird flavors and you need like the map to figure out yeah. which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, exactly some of them are like caramel. Yeah, some of them are good. Yeah, it's never like, you never end up with the good one. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, what the, the Forrest Gump line, life is like a bunch of box of chocolates, That's you exactly never know what you're going to get. Like, whenever I get one of those, I always end up with like the cashew one or like, Something sad. Something just <laughs> like, like fruit. Some food combination that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, dear listeners, you can't wish Ellie, you can't tweet at Ellie a happy birthday, but you can you'll send it to, to Taking Ship. Yeah. Uh, and that ship with a P as in, please follow Amy Spitalnik on Twitter. What's your handle, Amy? Amy Spitalnik. Oh, that's nice. That's with easy. a C. C-K. And where, where can they follow your work? Integrity for USA. Amazing. Integrity F-O-R USA. Wonderful. Well, we'll be sure to do that. Put that all in the show notes. And uh, are we taking ship at all today? We are not. As Frank is off, and uh, I am reluctant to wage war on the seas without without him. That's fair. Um, so with that, Amy, thank you so much. This was great. Thanks, Thanks Amy. Guys. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye-bye.